Hello, everyone. Um, I've been chasing Trisha for last, uh, I don't know, about six or eight months uh, to get her uh, on Grow With The Flow podcast with us. And today is my lucky day. We've finally been able to get uh, her um, on the call. Uh, Trisha, thank you so much uh, for joining me tonight. Um, why don't we start with, uh, you know, a little bit uh, about you, uh, uh, you know, what you've uh, done and uh, uh, what you, uh, what are you currently doing with More Essentials? Well, thank you very much, Manan. I'm sorry it was difficult to get me on your show. I'm so pleased to be here and to have this conversation with you. Uh, let me give you a little bit of background. I've, um, I have been a headhunter for almost 30 years. I have owned a firm for 25 years in February, so that's a big, exciting wow. accomplishment, 25 years. Yeah. And then uh, about a little over a dozen years ago, after building out my firm, I started training and speaking in the recruiting industry. Mm-hmm. That turned into private coaching mm-hmm. and now that is taking up the vast majority of our time in the recruiting industry is helping uh, small search firms get their systems and process in place, implement best practices, and ultimately get to the revenue goals that they're trying to achieve. Okay. All right. So um, in terms of you know, how, how you go about your coaching and your philosophy about, uh, about this, what sets more essentials apart from you know a host of uh, 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 coaching and uh, uh, pro- education programs out there? Well, that's a great question. I think there's a lot that sets us apart. For starters, our coaching program is one-on-one. I don't. I, there's. I've been in a lot of group coaching programs where I have gotten tremendous value where I have been able to look at the experiences of other people and gain insight from it. So I don't want to say that group coaching doesn't work because it works. It's worked for me in a lot of different areas of my life. But what we have found we enjoy the most is being able to get a little bit more granular with our clients. Like there's a lot of issues that recruiters are faced with that they just don't want to talk about in a public forum with all of their peers listening as they, you know, get past some of the things that are holding them back or flesh out really creative, innovative ideas. You know, we want to do that maybe a little bit more under the covers. And so I have found that being able to coach solo practitioners and small firm owners in their businesses with their staff and their lives and expanding and getting to achieve the things they know they're capable of, that has been an absolute joy for me. I I didn't know I was going to enjoy it quite as much as I do. Okay. Well, that's, that's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a lot of times it's just, you know, you don't want to, sound like the stupidest one uh, in the class and, uh, uh, you know, and you kind of don't want to hold uh, a lot of other people back um, with your specific problem. So I, I can 
I can definitely relate to that. Um, so um, we just uh, before we started recording, Tricia, we were talking about AI for recruiters. Now that is something that uh, uh, you know, uh, something that uh, it's about marketing, content marketing, something that uh, uh, you know I'm quite familiar with. Uh, why don't you tell us uh, more about that? Sure. So. AI for Recruiters is a, a brainchild of Jason and I's. Jason is my training partner. And we had a situation going back maybe at this point, it's probably only eight weeks ago, so it's, this is pretty new, where I came across this software, and it was an artificial intelligence, not for the recruiting industry. Uh, it is not at all positioned in the recruiting industry, uh, but I found the software and I started using it and, and candidly, I was just blown away by it. I had never seen software that functioned at this level before that was so intuitive and easy to use. Mm -hmm. So I started using it and when I saw what the application of this software was to the recruiting industry, uh, we decided that what we wanted to do was really bring it to the recruiting industry, show the recruiting industry how they could make changes to their desk mm -hmm. that ultimately massively increase their efficiency and drive new revenue. And it's cheap. It's cheap software. It's like, depending on the level, like 50 to 100 bucks a month. It's not expensive. It's not a big investment. Yeah. So what Jason and I did was we started getting real good with the software, brought it to the recruiting industry about a month ago in AI for Recruiters, mm -hmm. AI4Recruiters.com. Um, and what we use it for, like I keep it open on my screen all day long. I can go into this software and basically, let's say, describe my candidate. So I could say my candidate is a mechanical engineer with 10 years of experience. Uh, he's very smart. He, his friends like him. Um, he's really good at CAD design. I mean, like these are first grade level sentences <laughs> about my candidate. And I can list them into the software and then I can decide what tone I want it written in, whether that's professional or witty or funny or polite or there's over 150 different tones. And I click one button and it rewrites all my content for me real time. And it's compelling content. Like it, it's better than what... I'm sorry to all my Church of Executive Search members, but the software writes better than half of my coaching clients. <laughs> well, it does. I mean, it's really very good. Now, there are recruiters out there, I think, that are outstanding writers. It comes easy to them. Yeah. They're good at selling through their writing when they're presenting a candidate. They're good at it those people probably wouldn't need this as a solution. Sure. But the people that have trouble figuring out what to say, and they spend a lot of time doing candidate presentations, mm -hmm. doing client proposals, trying to write blog posts, 
Heck, if they spend a lot of time trying to come up with subject lines or email marketing content. Like right now, we have this software doing that for us across the board. Sure. I was using a grumpy tone because mm-hmm. it's actually mm-hmm. a pretty good tone. Um, and my software dropped an F-bomb. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. The software did. Like you have to put human eyes on it to make sure that that it's, you know, accurate and it's the what you want to say but the level of efficiency that we're reaching using this software for any time that you know you need some help writing which is often as a recruiter yeah i've just found it to be incredible so we're using it for We have the ability to basically build out templates or Mm -hmm. recipes for it. Mm -hmm. And so we're using it for uh, job postings. We're using it for candidate presentations. That's a really good one. Uh, But job postings, it'll write the whole job description for you. We've used it to, I just did a training in our group on it where we wrote, it took me 20 minutes. And what I did was used the software to build out a five email candidate sequence for uh, email marketing. Well, that can so, be- oh, God, yeah, I did it. I wrote a five, five different emails for the sequence, and I wrote it with the software in under 20 minutes. And I recorded the whole thing and put it into our group and I loaded the document with the five emails. Mm -hmm. Like, I think this software is so amazing that I I am just training people on it, on how to use it on their desks. Our training doesn't cost anything extra for it. Well, that's that's actually fantastic. Now, one of the, uh, it's not always easy uh, to write multiple variations uh, of an email, uh, basically, you know, if you're reaching out to prospective clients, prospective candidates, um, you, you have one core message, but you want, uh, you know, you want to embellish it with all the different kinds of words, different kinds of uh, sentences uh, to avoid repeating the same message uh, or the same kind of an email. So that's that it can be very helpful over there. And the second thing is, and where I think it, ha- it can have more far-reaching implication uh, is, is content marketing, right? So for, for the most part, content marketing, writing blogs um, and things like that have been, you know, mainly been used by large agencies, large software companies like, like us, uh, but not something that, you know, a, a small, uh, executive search firm uh, can can do right in terms of either money or uh, the time and the effort uh, that it takes. Now, um, this changes if it's able to create uh, great uh, blog posts. It changes uh, some of those uh, possibilities. Uh, what do you think, Trisha? Yeah, Manana, I I've spent years screaming from the rooftops to anyone that would listen to me that content marketing is stupid. Like it's in our space for what we do, it's 
stupid. Like I would ask people, Jason and I would be speaking at one of the conferences and I'd be like, okay, raise your hand. The last time you were doing research and you hit a blog post from someone and then you bought their product. When's the last time? How many people have done that? That doesn't happen to a lot of people, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it, it just isn't how we typically buy mm -hmm. a, as consumers or not how we buy often. I think there are people that do all of their research, hit a blog post, like it, start exploring, get on a list. They go through a whole sequence or cadence. Yeah. And then they ultimately become a customer. Yeah. Right, I think that does happen. <clears throat> I don't think that in the past it has made a lot of sense for solo practitioners or small firm owners to invest in content marketing. I, it just didn't make sense. It was terribly hard to measure any ROI. Recruiters are inherently not the best writers, right? And you have to have a writer to be able to put the content out. Yeah. And it, it just didn't make a whole lot of sense, right? Like we weren't going to see a lot of revenue from it. Right. But if you can eliminate 95% of the work, now content marketing makes a whole bunch of sense. It makes sense to have a keyword strategy. It makes sense to put blog posts out. I mean, using this tool um, in front of a webinar that we did, which the recording is at the bottom of that website, AI for Recruiters, um, but we did 37 blog posts in 24 hours. Mm -hmm. Wow, okay. Okay, like we're not a big, robust team, <laughs> right? Like that's, and we all have other jobs to do. But I mean, we were able to get that out super fast because the tool is so efficient. Yeah. So I think it's important that recruiters are looking at other industries. And like this isn't a recruiting tool, but my gosh, if we can take something that is this good at what it does and apply it to our industry to increase our efficiency. I mean, if I could give every recruiter I know back 25% of their time, my guess is their revenue would increase by more than that. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, it's, it's, there is a lot of creative block uh, when it comes to writing great stuff. And I've been writing all my life, uh, I, I actually, my first business uh, per se was starting a blog uh, back in 20, 2010. Wow, I'm you know it's been more than a decade, but that was my first business. Um, paid pretty well, but uh, and I, I I started writing. I've been writing for so long, and even now, if you tell me that hey, you know. You gotta, I gotta create a sequence of, you know, five emails or write up a blog post. It's going to take me time, right? And I, even with the kind of practice that I have and uh, uh, something to help you out along the way is always fantastic. Well, it is. And um, one, of, one of our coaching clients, uh, Rich Rosen, he's just a gem. And 
one of the things that he did, he struggles. Like, he has a great texting strategy. He does awesome texting um, and emailing both. I mean, not that he doesn't pick up the phone all the time. He does. But he had candidates that he was on an eighth, ninth, tenth point of contact with with zero engagement, zero response, had the software write the text messages, and the candidates responded. Like, so no offense to Rich that, you know, the software writes better or was more compelling, but it was, and it it got engagement and response. So, I mean, I think when we can take someone that's that big of a biller and show how it makes them more efficient, it means, you know, we should be looking at a solution like this industry-wide. Absolutely. And I, I... I've known Rich for a while now, um, fantastic guy. I hope uh, he definitely does not listen to this episode, but- uh, um, No, he, yeah. <laughs> we hope he listens. No, 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 we hope he listens because you know what? Tomorrow, so you won't have this published yet. It'll already be published tomorrow. Um, we we're putting a press release out, Rich Rosen, I could not be more proud of that man. Um, he crossed the million-dollar mark in billing in August. Wow. Eight months. Eight months. So all those young recruiters, new recruiters listening, right, a million dollars in individual billing. He doesn't have a team of recruiters behind him. He doesn't have a team of sourcers behind him. He's, he did a million dollars by August. We're, we're so proud of him. Yeah, no, he's fantastic. And I know I, I've heard, I, I've done a few calls with him and he takes those calls at 7, 7.30 a.m. his time. And uh, uh, which is, you know, so he he is a workhorse as well, right? So he works hard. Um, I, and, uh, you know, I, I work 12, 14 hours a day. Uh, and it's, it's, you know, it's, it's always nice to talk to um, some of uh, headhunters, right? Who are, you know, putting in the long hours, putting in the work and the smarts like Rich does and uh, getting tremendous results out of it. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, that's fantastic. Okay. So uh, one of these days I should even get rich uh, on uh, this podcast. Um, but yeah, so um, I want to talk. So there, there, are, there are a lot of, uh, you know, you write some very interesting stuff all the time on you know, these different Facebook groups and LinkedIn and things like that. Uh, Trisha, I want to ask something, right? Like what is that one belief um, about, you know, uh, recruiting or, uh, you know, how the recruiting world operates that, that is very contrarian to a commonly accepted truth in our industry. Yeah, I can give you, I, I mean, I could probably rattle off a list of them, mm-hmm. but probably the one that tends to fall most contrarian, uh, I, I am not a fan of MPC marketing. Okay. I don't think that we should do MPC marketing as an industry. And there's a whole group, a whole subset of the recruiting industry that will argue upside down and inside out that MPC marketing is the best way to generate new business. Mm-hmm. I don't think it is. So uh, for those of the people, listeners, that maybe are more new to the industry, 
MPC stands for Most Placeable Candidate. So the premise of the technique is that what you do is you find a candidate that has a very good skill set that's in demand, that has realistic expectations, that will work exclusively with you. You determine what it is they want in their career, who they specifically would like to go to work for. The candidate often comes up with the list. And then what you do as the recruiter is you call into those companies and everybody's script sounds pretty much the same. Like um, I had an opportunity last week to, or yesterday to recruit an individual that is exceptional at this, this, and this, and here's something about their, you know, innate characteristics, what makes them exceptional. And Mr. Hiring Manager, when I asked them which companies they had the most amount of respect for in the industry, they said yours. So I was hoping that maybe I could set up an exploratory conversation for the two of you to decide if maybe there's a good fit, and I'm only going to charge you 30% of their base salary in order to hire them. Yeah. Like that's yeah. MPC marketing, right? And I think it's really difficult when – like if you're if you're a recruiter and all you want is transactional deal flow, go ahead and MPC market. I think it's great. But if you have any interest in being a strategic partner with your clients, in being uh, taking a consultative approach, stepping above the noise of the paper slinging, you know, <laughs> pretend headhunters, recruiters, um, you can't lead with NPC marketing. Nobody, nobody wants to pay you a full fee for a candidate that you already have in your back pocket that's likely a rejection from someone else. It's just a bad model. So on the contrary, though, uh, one can argue that it's a, it's a great way to have a foot in the door uh, with a client, right? You start a conversation, see how that goes. And that's one way for you to start a conversation and uh, start cultivating a relationship that grows into something which is, you know, a much, much more um, engrossed partnership. Um, don't you think like, you know, MPC is a great way to get that started? I don't. I don't. I think that when you do MPC marketing, you make it all about the candidate and you sound like, like we sound like carnival barkers. Like I got a candidate. Here's my candidate. Who wants my candidate? You want a candidate? No. Right. Like we're, we're making it all about this one person that maybe you might have an interest in interviewing instead of making it about I'm an extraordinary headhunter, and I want to determine whether or not I want to represent you in the market, not are you interested in my candidate. That doesn't establish a strategic relationship, and first impressions matter. Once you are in that box of, you know, the same recruiters that are slinging candidates, they're not coming to you and giving you $100,000 fees to, you know, aid them in hiring a co-founder or a, a C-suite in a, a startup or a, a bigger company. Like, 
very rarely are there recruiters out there that have done extremely well with MPC marketing. Yes, there are. And I wouldn't recommend they change anything they're doing. If it's working for them, they're doing something right. I think with 30 years of experience training and coaching thousands of recruiters across all disciplines and in many countries, that it is incredibly difficult to start a relationship with an MPC candidate and turn it into something that is long-term, that is going to stick around for you when the market isn't quite this hot. Okay, all right. So, however, uh, uh, you know, I, I, again, I will probably have to check data, but my my guess would say that you know an mpc campaign might just have higher you know so let's say you are running a sequence of emails right uh, to get attention of a prospective client an mpc campaign might have a higher uh, response rate right so you and you know so you are kind of expanding the top of your funnel, why should somebody uh, be giving that up or taking something, you know, with a lower conversion rate, maybe higher value, right? Maybe, you know, that probably is definitely true, but uh, with lower conversion rate and uh, much more effort uh, going into it. So um, what would you say, say to that? Well, I would say that new business development for executive level direct search doesn't come from an email cadence. Mm -hmm. okay. It doesn't. I mean, if you want to go into a company and say, I am going to be your strategic partner and help you uh, put in place the executive team necessary to ensure the success of your overall business. I am going to consult with you and hold your hand through that process while we work together to select that team. In order for me to do that, it's going to cost about $400,000. So I'm not getting that business sending a series of automated emails. Like there's this weird thing that has happened in recruiting as technology has progressed. Okay. Yeah. I'm ancient. I didn't have a computer on my desk. There wasn't the internet when I started recruiting, right? So as the technology has become more and more prevalent, the recruiting industry as a whole has become much more reluctant to get on the phone and do actual outside sales. We are salespeople. That's what we do for a living. We aren't marketing automation platform administrators. Right. That's not what we are as recruiters, we're salespeople. And so it is my personal opinion that if you want to, you know, play with the big boys, you got to act like one. And that means get on the phone and get a meeting. That's what you need. You need to get a meeting with a decision maker that is responsible for hiring. That's it. Get the meeting. So there's a lot of different things that we have to do in order to get the meeting, but I don't think one of them is dangling a candidate. Mm -hmm. Like 
If you're going to MPC market, the number of times that people MPC market the wrong candidate is astronomical. In order for you to successfully MPC market, Manan, the candidate has to not be active, but actually be interested and have a reason that they want to make a move. They have to be in high demand and have reasonable salary expectations. They have to be imminently flexible in their geography. They have to have nothing holding them back from making the right move if that right move presents itself. And you have to have a commitment that they're going to interview anywhere you set them up. I would say in my 30, almost 30 years of recruiting, I have encountered, I could count on two hands the number of candidates in 30 years that would truly have qualified as an MPC. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? So if you are wildly discerning and the person fits all of that criteria, once every couple years, you might have someone that it makes sense to take to market. But if that's your primary business development strategy, then you're marketing the wrong candidates and all you're doing is hurting your credibility with brand new companies that don't know you. Why do we want to attach our reputation to someone else? Shouldn't we be able to just stand on our own two feet and say, here's the value proposition for why you want to work with me, and it doesn't have anything to do with an individual candidate that I'm dangling in front of you? Sure. No, no, that, that makes sense? That makes sense. Um, so again, right, like it's, it's also uh, a question of targeting and you, you, you mentioned something that, that's, that's of, of, of great, great importance and, and that is the value proposition. Hey, by the way, I want to uh, also mention um, this, right? Like you, you talked about how recruiters are salespeople and that's basically why we started Recruiter Flow. So um, I don't know if, if I, I don't, we don't, I, I don't think I talk about this enough on, you know, how we, how we, went about uh, uh, founding of Recruiter Flow. So um, I've been a, been a software developer turned into a software sales guy. Um, my first company got acquired. I was in my second company um, and uh, in charge of uh, you know, growth uh, at this large media company. Um, and our internal recruiting wasn't very helpful. Let me put it that way. So uh, I said, okay, I'm, you know, it's not that I don't know anything about recruiting. I know how to do sales. I have done inside sales. So I'm just going to put together my sales tools uh, and start recruiting that way. Um, it was wildly successful. And that's what, uh, that was the genesis of recruiter flow, right? Like, you know, to, so sales tools were, so miles ahead of all the recruiting tools. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> I said, okay, this, this recruiting thing, although I don't know much about it, is, you know, is not really that different from sales. In fact, it's a little bit harder because uh, you, you have to uh, kind of sell on both sides as, as a, and on the client side, as well as on the candidate side. It's not, this is not an easy job and the tools, they're still, you know, this is 21st century, come on kind of a thing. And uh, 
Um, yeah, so that was the starting point for recruiter flow, right? So our only hypothesis was that, okay, recruiting tools are miles behind sales tools. Let's just get them there. And uh, uh, yeah, so, you know, we weren't uh, too far off, um, I, would, I would say uh, from our uh, original hypothesis. Um, but yeah, coming, coming back to uh, value, value proposition, Trisha, how how should a recruiter right so let's let's just let's put a real example over here right so let's say um you know i am a, a headhunter in um, new york city with uh you know let's say i've been recruiting i, I i've been working at one of uh, the large tech companies and have been recruiting for them for like you know let's say five years and now i agency Again, I'm going to be focused on uh, placing, let's say, software developers at at uh, uh, you know seed to series C tech companies. Very very common use case. Now this is something. How and there are probably you know just in New York City more than hundred other uh, recruiting agencies doing the same thing. How would I you know set myself apart in a situation like this? Okay, that's a great question. Um, and I think it requires two, two things. One, recruiters are so cheap. Oh my God, are recruiters cheap? Like all we need to do is have a phone and a computer and we should be able to make money, right? Yeah. But every other company in every other industry has some level of marketing budget right? A budget that's allocated for new client acquisition. Yeah. And recruiters don't have that. It's really kind of peculiar. Um, I mean, certainly the larger firms are going to have, you know, an allocated marketing budget, but I'm talking about like a solo practitioner or a firm that has, you know, a handful of people. They don't have a marketing budget. So they're trying to generate new clients and net new logos, but they're not willing to invest any money. But let's change that. Let's say they are willing to invest a little money. It doesn't have to be a lot of money. Mm -hmm. What I would say is identify, like let's stop, ha stop having our MPC candidates decide who our clients are gonna be. And why don't we decide who we wanna represent in the market? You look at the companies that you think have the most compelling story because it makes it easiest for you to sell. So you have a higher probability of closing the deal. So let's go and let's identify 10 companies, 20 companies, 100 companies, but I'd start with 10 that you really want to do business with. Now, let's come up with some type of very clever campaign that is only the only purpose of it the only call to action is to get the meeting that's it we're not trying to convince them to hire us we can't do that in marketing outreach right. what we need to do is get the meeting like we need to have the right goal okay the goal isn't get the client the goal is get the meeting right. so how can we get the meeting? If we're asking a different kind of question, we get a better answer, right? So what could I do to get the meeting? Uh, I had a, a gentleman in an, a, 
a client in an arguably more challenging, more competitive market in New York City that uh, places wealth managers. Wow. And he was trying for a long time to get into, you know, the head of wealth management for one of the leading investment firms in the city. And emails and voicemails weren't cutting it. They weren't cutting it. So he came to us and said, what do I do? And what we did, what we recommended he do and what he did was he went and he spent about, I don't know, $100, $200. And he bought a carving knife, a beautiful carving knife, like for the kitchen. Mm -hmm. And put it in a, a box like it had the velvet inlay. It was gorgeous. And the card said... Thank you for carving out time to meet with me. That's clever. Okay. That was it. Okay. So if I spend 200, and I'm not saying go send carving knives to everybody. <laughs> like he, he engraved the knife with the guy's last name, right? Which is a sweet little touch um, because it's so personal. It's yeah. not content marketing. It's contact marketing. Right. Okay, so it's picking out specifically the individuals that you want to do business with and researching those people, learn a lot about them, learn about where they live, read all the reviews for the best restaurants and send them a gift certificate to the restaurant and say, you know, I'd like you to take you and your spouse or you and your family out to dinner on me, I'd just like 15 minutes to introduce myself. Well, yeah, Got to get the meeting. That definitely would. Like I would say, you know, eight times out of 10, that definitely would. Okay, so let's spend $100 or $200 10 times, have eight discovery meetings, run those meetings so well that they are crystal clear why you're better than everybody else. Give them a proposal that knocks their socks off with a giant engagement fee attached to it. Mm -hmm. And of those eight, four or more will close. Like that feels like a great way to spend $2,000, $200 each for 10 people, yeah. right? Yeah, so, but I want I want to come back to, to, to this, right? Like how would I, if, if I were, so let's say I'm in, you know, I get my 10 minutes um, with, with the person, right? Like, and this, this, this guy is probably being hounded by 20 other recruiters in the market. I still need to convey my value proposition. That's going to be different. Right. So I'm successful at getting, you know, uh, my prospects attention. How would I deliver a much better value than all of my competition? Well, I mean, I think at that point, what I would probably say to the hiring manager, if they were asking me that question in that meeting, Manan, I got the meeting with you. I'm going to be able to get to candidates. No one else can because I'm clever and I'm persistent and I've proven that to you just by my mere presence. Well, no, that's fantastic. Yeah, that's, it sounds like a movie plot. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, you know what, there you, you're touching on something real important because, 
yes, we're salespeople, mm-hmm. but we're also actors. And what actors do is practice their scripts, right? Like we have to be able to deliver the script and it has to have the right inflection and it has to have the right delivery. And I think there's a lot of recruiters that are like, I don't need a script. I'm 30 years in, I still use scripts. I mean, I think that, that it's something we're actors. If you want to be a good recruiter, be a good salesperson, be a good actor. Oh yeah, absolutely. So one of my earliest sales mentors, uh, I actually went on a, a client meeting with him, his client, not mine. So, you know, we just, uh, I just tagged along. Um, and there was, you know, in, it, was just, it was just one of the most astonishing client meetings that I had seen. And um, after that meeting was done, we were uh, on our way back. Uh, we were driving back uh, uh, to his office. And um, I said that, you know, I, I have not known you to be this funny. And he said that I have <laughs> the same jokes. You know, I have a reporter of about 15, 20 jokes I would use you know, a few of them on in all the meetings. And, you know, my associates would laugh at them like as if they are hearing it for the first time. They are hearing that for the hundredth time. And like each and every aspect of that meeting, if you think that it was, you know, in, uh, impromptu or uh, natural, it's not. It's everything is uh, scripted well rehearsed well practiced right so and that just that just changed i, I mean this i was a, a young kid just two years out of university um you know i hadn't done anything other than engineering in my life and the first time i was learning sales and it just changed how i look at sales as a process and as an interaction between two people yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that when when you're going through the sales process, if you can get the meeting, you have an opportunity to demonstrate to the hiring manager just how different you are by how you run that meeting and the caliber of questions that you ask. Now, I'll tell you a secret, okay? And this is probably one of the hardest pieces in our entire methodology to implement, okay? Our sales process, engagement. First, you have to engagement. It could be, you know, things like carving knives. It could be, you know, email sequences, voicemails, whatever it takes to get the engagement. We have a lot of scripts and a lot of ideas. Then you schedule a meeting, and that first meeting is like 30 minutes, okay? And we have the whole agenda, how to run the meeting, the actual like movie script for it, right? Then if you decide you like what you hear, you schedule a second discovery meeting. And again, the whole playbook for that is all laid out. And then you go to proposal and the proposal knocks their socks off. But here's the catch. In the first 30 minute discovery meeting, we never take a requirement. Yeah. Ever. 
Yeah. We don't take it. If they are verbally vomiting the requirement on us, like, Manon, I'm so glad that we're talking. Here's what I need. I need a software developer in New York at a seed company, and I want to pay them 130000 They need to have full stack Java. What? And, and what we do in that moment is say, mm, oh, 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 slow down, slow down. I'm not in a position yet to start learning about your job because I don't know enough about you to decide if I want to represent you in the market. So let's back up and let me get a good understanding of your business, your strategic objectives, and what you're trying to accomplish over the next 18 months. Then we'll broadly look at the impact of talent gaps in that strategic plan. But I, I don't know if you want to throw that at me right now. We're probably not well aligned. Yeah, that just turns the whole table on them, right? Because they're they are not used to hearing yes. that from headhunters. Right. And so what we want to do is be so different in that business development process. And, you know, step number one is, you know what? I'm not performing for you. You're performing for me. Right, I'm determining whether or not I want to represent you in the market. Yeah. And yeah. then we'll decide whether or not you want to hire me. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So it just turns the tables a little bit. It sets the whole relationship up differently. Now, when you're advising on offers, you're listened to, right? Now, when you say, hey, I know this candidate doesn't look like the right fit on paper, but you've hired me to counsel and I need you to take my counsel and have an exploratory conversation. And now they listen. But if you're a carnival barker shoving candidates that were someone else's rejects into your client who hasn't even raised their hand to say that they needed the person or that they wanted to work with you, um, I think it's very hard to build long-term strategic relationships. Okay. Okay. All right. So that, I mean, it's, it's a lot like whether you are, um, you know, so in software sales, we have, um, you know, this kind of a, a funny terminology, right? So whether you are hunting rabbits, hunting deers, hunting elephants, or hunting whales, right? So, um, and this sounds a lot like you are in the business uh, of hunting whales, right? So I also uh, like to use this uh, uh, kind of a metaphor, right? Like recruiting, although most people treat it as, uh, you know, a fishing net kind of a business, it's actually a harpoon kind of a business. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, and, uh, uh, you know, the day you understand this difference, your whole approach of how you look at your market because again right like let's 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 take a look at you know if if you want to bill a million dollars a year right so that's 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 a fantastic number that would put you probably in top 0.1% of recruiters uh in yeah. the maybe right so um, let's, let's, so let's say you, that's, that's where you want to be. And if you are able to build that kind of relationships with 
clients, you don't need more than 20 to do that. And oh gosh, in some cases <laughs> you don't even need 20. Yeah, exactly. The, I'll tell you the most, and I I I have repeat I have repeated this stuff over and over again. So my our regular listeners are probably going to you know uh, find this extremely uh, repetitive, but <laughs> I have I, I get to look at a lot of data of the industry, right? Um, and the most incredible thing that would that I have found is that the more successful firms, and when I say more successful, I mean dollars billed per recruiter in the team. Actually uh -huh. have fewer clients. They actually make much more money from one client uh, than uh, you know having more clients. They have um, you know they are they are getting repeat businesses, retained businesses from the same hiring manager, from the same client over and over again, each and every, let's say quarter, every month, whatever that cadence is. Um, and they are way more successful. And it, it just made so much sense to me that, hey, you know, if, if as a full desk recruiter, I am not spending hours and hours every day, uh, you know, acquiring new clients, and instead I'm spending that time actually delivering for those 10 clients that I have, they're going to keep coming back to me again and again. And I'm going to become that person that whenever they have a new role and the first person they call that, hey, you know, blah, 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 this is what I need. What can we do here, right? So, um, and that is where you want to be, right? So, um, and it's, it's I, I find it uh, extremely astonishing. The first time I saw this, it just blew my mind, right? Like more successful recruiters have fewer clients. Um, I fall into that category. I have been fortunate in my, my professional career to have uh, two clients, two different clients. Uh, one was Accenture and one was Cognizant, okay? And for each of those two companies, one of them I placed over 75 senior managers, associate partner level people, and the other one I placed over 100. Wow. And when you can work with a company at that level, those were 100% contingency placements, 100% contingent. Both of those relationships spanning multiple years and multiple groups Boy, at Accenture, I supported 23, 24 different practice areas wow. in our firm. So when you're able to have a contingency client that's at that size with that level of need, it'll beat a retainer or an engagement fee all day long. <laughs> like sometimes contingency is the way to go when you can do that level of volume yeah. at an executive level. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, these are like probably one of the biggest in uh, IT and, uh, you know, uh, consulting, right? So I think um, the only firm bigger in IT services that I can think of is probably TCS um, and Infosys probably would be bigger than these two. So, yeah. um, you know what, when I, when, what we focused in, I spent about 15 years where all I did was 
ex- the only people I placed were executives in uh, business development and delivery management with a uh, deal size or P&L in excess of $20 million for global outsourcing providers. That's wow. all I did, yeah. right? So I knew what everybody was, but I was across industries, all different industries. But because it was a consulting world, the we talk a lot about a, a concept I think that isn't um, – I don't tell a lot of people about it, so this is a big <laughs> a big reveal for you, Manon. We when we look at clients, we divide them into profit center and cost center. Okay. okay, so every role in every company is either going to be in the profit center or in the cost center. So if we take a recruiter as a very easy example, if you have a recruiter working for you. Mm-hmm. That is cost center. They're supporting the people that are generating the revenue. If I have a recruiter work for me, then they're profit center because they're generating revenue in an agency or a consulting environment, right? So if what we do in every role, like if I place accounting and finance, if I place into Deloitte, then they are profit center. If I place into Kraft Foods, then they are cost center. Right. So if as a recruiter, I can step up and look at the type of companies I want to represent. If I focus in a profit center, there's more urgency. There's more opportunity loss for the client. If the job isn't filled, they pay a premium to the people that they hire and our fees are contingent on the salary. So we make more money. So when we're looking at who we should target as clients, I think that everybody should have at least one major profit center client, which is either somebody in an agency, somebody in a consulting firm, anybody billable, anybody billable that generates revenue, like salespeople. We talked about Rich Rosen. Rich is 100% profit center. All he places is salespeople. Yeah, exactly. Right? So it, it matters. And I think that people that have been in recruiting a long time have never actually sat back and strategically decided who they want to represent in the market. Yeah. They've just let their candidates pick the companies for them. Yeah. And I don't think that's the best way to run a search firm. It's you are you are you know hitting on something over here. So that is, um, I I have you know whenever somebody new joins in uh, our marketing or sales, um, kind of tell them right. Like people are driven by two things, either greed or fear. There are only two reasons why somebody is going to buy recruiter flow, right? So or any anything for that matter at all. But uh, um, and. We have to appeal to the greed and not the fear. If you are right, the fear is your customer. Yeah, I mean, this is probably you know my my choice of words uh, makes me sound very cynical, but uh, it's it's basically uh, basically what you 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 put it in a much better way, right? So I just call it greed and fear. Uh, you call it process center, cost center, but it's it's basically the same concept. It is. And you know what? I think that if recruiters could start strategically deciding who 
they want to do business with and not going in begging for the business, right? Like that's not how you do it. You don't beg for the business. So if they can approach it that way and specifically target the companies that they want, um, life just gets easier. Yeah, you are right. And the, the, and you know, especially if you're a, you know, if you're new into the whole thing about sales, right? Like you might be a great recruiter. You probably be, uh, you know, probably new to sales. Um, you know, people can smell desperation from a mile away. So you never want to put yourself in that position, right? So, Gosh, no. uh, and uh, so you always want to have the conversation from the position of strength. Um, and that's when they will learn to respect you, trust you. And, you know, that's when good, thing, good things start happening to you. Um, no, that's 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 great. So, um, Trisha, I, you know, this has been a very scintillating conversation. I think we can go on for hours and hours, but we are nearing, <laughs> uh, nearing the end of uh, our time here. Um, I want to ask one last thing about you know. So, tell us about one book or a podcast or something that has had a profound impact on you know how you think and how you look at the world um i couldn't possibly ever pick a single podcast or a single book i wish i could i will tell you a person though mm-hmm. um i am such a huge tony robbins fan i'm a huge tony robbins fan like i went I went through a lot of his training just in like audio video stuff. And I went to my first live event in 2017. Uh, I did business mastery. So I was in a room for 15 hours a day for six straight days with 2,400 entrepreneurs. And it was, um, it was a life changing experience, right? It was all focused on business. Um, and incredibly impactful. And then I went back last year and did what they call date with destiny, which is basically that same kind of immersion, immersive event. Um, but it's about your personal life, not your business. And that I had incredibly high expectations for, and it exceeded my expectations. So I'm actually doing that one over again this December. I'm doing it virtually, and I'm very excited about it. But when it comes to mindset, when it comes to discipline, when it comes to fulfillment in your life, uh, I haven't learned more from anyone than Tony Robbins. Well, that's fantastic. Okay, I, I can't say I have. I know Tony. Uh, I know Tony very well, or I have seen anything uh, about him. Um, but uh, I definitely will. Um, and Trisha, if any of our listeners want to find you, get in touch. How do they do that? Oh. They can go to moreessentials.com, which is M-O-O-R-E-E-S-S-E-N-T-I-A-L-S. But even better than that, I am a believer that if 
you want people to answer the phone when you call them, then you should answer your phone. So Manan, my cell phone number is 630-240-4454. And if there are any of the listeners that would like to talk to me about our training, our coaching, even our free training that we do, they are more than welcome to call me, text me, go to our website, send me an email. I answer my own phone. Well, wow, that's a bold move here. You know, putting your cell phone uh, out there publicly. Uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put uh, in the in the description, put a link to Mood Essentials as well as your LinkedIn profile. That sounds delightful. It has been absolutely a pleasure to talk to you, Manan, and I wish you continued success with Recruiter Flow. Well, thank you so much, Trisha. The pleasure is all mine. Thank you, sir.